change is get the dwarf cannolis, the little ones. Okay, right. I did the bird. Come on, don't talk back, huh? Mime is money. Let's go. Come on, move it. Tap into America. Yeah. You put a greased, naked woman yes. on all fours yes. with a dog collar with around dog her collar. neck. And a leash. And a leash. And a man's arm extended out up to here, holding on to the leash and pushing a black glove in her face to sniff it. You don't find that offensive? The numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11. And then amps go up to 10. Exactly. It's Jupiter. such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah, she's a turnabout. It's going to be that simple, beautiful, classic. Every, every movie in every cinema is about death. Death sells. Do me a favor. Just kick my ass, okay? Kick this ass for a man, that's all. Kick my ass. Enjoy. Come on. I'm not asking, I'm telling with this. Kick my ass. I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. Hello, everybody. We're back again with another episode of Hell's Bows, which is well, well overdue. Um, my name's Kat Ellinger, and I'm here with the lovely Heather Drain. Hello. Um, and we were supposed to be doing our Kenneth Anger episode, which we recorded at Christmas, believe it or not, like months ago. We had some issues with that episode in that some of the audio got scrambled and some of it was missing, the joys of... Um, post-production on audacity so while we repair that episode we thought we'd plan something very special something very close to our hearts to to give you in the interim because very proud of the kenneth anger episode so it needs to be out there um so we're here today to talk about spinal tap bad news and heavy fucking metal yes oh my goodness I have been, we have been so excited about this episode, because um, I believe, Kat, when you and I first started planning for Hell's Bells, that was, that was one of the things we've talked about wanting to do, was yeah. doing a heavy metal episode. All so the metal, is... all the, all the fucking metal, <clears throat> it's just, we couldn't decide how to do the metal, um, because there's just so many aspects of metal, and then it kind of dawned on us, well, we should do Spinal Tap. Because it's so good. It it's is so, so good. Oh. It's one of, I think it's one of the greatest comedies ever made. It's, God, it's perfect. And, but the music's actually really, really good, too. Like, if, if they had done kind of a shit job with the music, I think the film would only be, you know, at half power. I think that's the power of it, though. It is one of my particular favourite comedies. And I saw some guy moaning on Facebook recently about, oh, these people who just quote films, and if you haven't seen the film, it just seems like a stupid in-joke, and it's really stupid, and you shouldn't quote films. But I'm sorry, I'm never <laughs> not going to quote Spinal Tap. I think I've quoted it more than any other film I've ever seen. And, there, and there's a Spinal Tap quote literally for every situation. I can't, the amount of times I've used the phrase turn it up to 11, even in my writing, is just, but like you said, it's the music as well, because it's it's about, it's a parody, a mockumentary of the heavy metal scene or heavy rock scene of the early 80s. 
but it's also the music is is good like they can actually play and i think on their criterion commentary the guys and it was um it was michael mckean christopher guest and uh harry shear do the commentary on that talked about how um especially christopher uh, Christopher Guest and Michael McKean were into music. They were producing music. They were producing music, musical comedy. Um, and they'd done a trial of the Spinal Tap com- uh, characters on um, the television show with Rob Reiner, like a skit, when they got the idea. But the actual music and everything was written by them, performed by them. You see their own guitar collections in the film. So I think I've never met a metalhead who hates Spinal Tap. In fact, the opposite. Metalheads seem to love it more than anyone else. Even though it's kind of taking the piss out of us, it's not. There's, like, love there and heart there and and a kind of knowledge of the genre, I guess. Absolutely. <clears throat> and also, for that gentleman on Facebook, seriously, dude, do you need a hug? <laughs> <laughs> I know, he wasn't talking about Spinal Tap specifically, just in general people who quote films. And I know it can get really annoying, but come on, fucking, that can't, that can't apply to Spinal Tap quotes and it can't apply to With Nail and I quotes. No, well, also, you, life is an education. If I hear something I don't recognize, it makes me curious. I'm like, ooh, this is something I need to learn. I'm not going to crab about it and be like, I don't like that. I don't get it. <laughs> Spoilers. Like, geez, <laughs> like oh, you there quoted a line that's ruined now. Oh, everything's it's ruined. It's like I can never watch it. I heard someone quoting it or I saw a meme with a line from the film in it, so I'm never going to watch it. <laughs> that spinal tap is not for that person. And sorry, that no. person, if you're actually listening to this. <laughs> Someone Wait, on my we... list, I don't even know it was. Oh, no. <laughs> well, if you if you did listen to this, sir, we're coming at you from love, much like this movie. We are trying to help you see the other side of Yeah, life. think of it as an and... intervention. Exactly. <laughs> we come at... And I think you're so correct, Kat. I love the point, because that's the thing. Like, I, you know... There is so much love in this film. And, and that's the thing. The characters, you do like the characters. They're likable. Yes, they're ridiculous. But it's it's just done with such great fun. And um, I think the only time, the only musician I've heard, um, at least to my knowledge, that had a problem with the film was um, Herman. Oh, God, what is his last name? It's the drummer from Scorpions. Because there's this great story that Dee Snyder for Twisted Sister told about going to see Spinal Tap with Herman. Herman Z. German, <laughs> which is the name of one of his solo albums. I shit you not. Oh, um, God. Don't. And, and, and Dee, <laughs> I know, Herman Z. German got offended uh, by Spinal Tap. Dee thought it was hilarious, but Herman was like, oh, my God, they're making fun of us. <laughs> oh. And, um, I, which is sad because, I mean, come on, 70s era Scorpions for the record, are legion. Oh my god, it's so good. But um, this this was probably in the era where they're doing like breaking, not breaking the wind. Oh <laughs> no, fucking winds have changed. Oh, fucking hate that song. <laughs> breaking the wind. I think it's like it is like slip. breaking the wind when you hear it. I remember when it came out, I used to hang out at this biker bar where they had like 10 records on the jukebox. One of them was um, Money by Pink Floyd and another one was that. (laughs) I just can't listen to it. 
<laughs> the only time I've been able to listen to that song was there was a DJ once that took that whistling part. That's the intro, and he like looped it for two minutes. <laughs> it's like, what were they thinking? <laughs> oh, it was so awful. I was just like, no, go listen to you know, go, not go listen that. to Virgin Killer. Yeah, go listen to Virgin Killer or Love Drive. <laughs> not Those the, are great. Not that anything but that. Oh God! No, I think but... that sums up Spinal Tap, though. Is that the film came out at a time when heavy metal was evolving and we're getting towards the kind of hair metal part of heavy metal um and even though metal and heavy rock has always been traditionally really over the top and overtly sexual and just really out there i think by the time we get to the mid 80s and beyond it gets to this other stage where it it just had gone too far well not too far it's not the word for it but it had become almost a parody of itself and heavy metal was at its most its biggest it's never been as big as it was in that mid to late 80s period i mean that was my period i was kind of coming of age then in the mid 80s so around the age of like 11 or 12 like 1984 1985 you had bands like Iron Maiden were in the mainstream charts they were on fucking top of the pops in the UK they were part of you know and it's never been as big as it was then since I I don't think no well and it it was so exciting too because I know um at least in the states too heavy metal was often it was kind of like the sexy sort of boogeyman as the way it was presented to culture and to kids because it's like you know a lot you had the whole satanic panic and being like ooh you know oh, it was Ozzy so Osbourne excited it, it was so <laughs> exciting I went from liking Wham and I'm not going to apologize for that because I still I still love Wham <laughs> but I went from liking Wham to kind of get going full scale metal I guess and punk as well which we'll talk about a bit later on but i kind of shifted like from new romantic pop duran duran spandau ballet and wham to like iron maiden judas priest and it was you did feel like you'd signed up in legion with fucking satan and you were the (laughs) dog's bollocks like you could literally defeat anybody with your studied arm bands do you know what I mean? And it was even better when they started putting the parental advisory stickers on things. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> it was just like, because then you just blind buy everything and it was all on the cover art. There was something out of warning on it. I, I can't remember what I saw it on, but because um, I don't think it was law here in the UK, but I, I saw it on a, a documentary, I think, or someone being interviewed where they said that they bands started actually putting the stickers on their albums before it was kind of in force. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Because it was like, uh, oh, my God, look, parental advisory. It was just amazing. And I think Spinal Tap in its way and Bad News, which we'll talk about kind of sum up that era i know spinal tap is kind of a band that are that are on their way down but it kind of sums up that era and what was going on in heavy metal and so when i look back on those films it's with a great feeling of nostalgia and just you know 
although they're still applicable now because we'll always have rock stars so they so it's never like you know it's never dated in that way either because it's still kind of you know there's there's still stories of rock stars that are like spinal tap um but the whole thing of how heavy metal was kind of moving on and evolving and everything at the time and that excitement and everything it was just, I don't know, it evokes that. To me, that is Spinal Tap. It's, there's something about it that's very genuine that works. But do you feel that playing rock and roll music keeps you a child? That is, keeps you in a state of arrested development? No, no, no. I feel it's like, it's more like going, going to a, a national park or something and there's, you know, they preserve the moose. And that's, that's my childhood up there on stage is that moose, you know. And, so when you're playing, you feel like a preserved moose on stage. Yeah. Well, and there's a celebration of sort of having something that's over the top, because a lot of times people use, you know, especially critics, use something like over the top, like it's a bad thing. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with being colorful? What's wrong with being sexy? <laughs> that's, this or, is the thing. It was just like so, um, you know, at the time you had, now from the age of about 14, I used to hang around in this heavy metal club um, when glam rock was kind of taking off. And all the guys would be in spandex with, like, eyeshadow on and the big hair, and everyone was just, like, really outrageous. And that's supposed to be a bad thing. It's like, after that, we had fucking grunge, and everyone just looked like they'd slept in a skip for the night and wore lumberjack <laughs> shirts. I met, I was never a massive glam fan. I was more on the Megadeth Slayer side, but I would fucking love to bring that back now. I, I oh, didn't God. appreciate it at the time. I mean, we used to take the piss a lot out of the glam boys. But... Um, oh. But to have that back now, you know, where everything was big, larger than life, everything was about excess. It was such a decadent time. Everyone was really androgynous. It was just, it was just incredible. Well, exactly. Plus the problem, you know, the thing that always irritated me with people that were, you know, because I kind of came of age more in the alternative sort of grunge era. I'm but sorry I always for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm, no, me too. I always, I always stood out like a sore thumb because I was listening to everything from the Ramones to Roxy Music and, you know. Uh, and Judas Priest, I, you know, I liked all kinds of music, but I did everything but what was current, pretty much. <laughs> like, it's just most of it didn't move me. But yeah, they'd always act like, oh, you know, you know, that's a uniform, and people dress like that. And it's like, well, you making a big deal of wearing tattered jeans and a flannel shirt—that's your uniform. That is your image that you were crafting. Oh, that the, is no different. The grunge than a man. people were so fucking depressing, though. They really were. <laughs> Don't get me yeah. wrong, I like the odd thing. Like, I like a bit of Alice in Chains and I liked a bit of Nirvana. I can't handle mm. Nirvana now. It's been too overplayed. I liked Nevermind when it first came out. But I don't know. Everyone was just so fucking serious and horror film went the same as well. Horror film, like, it was like we got to like 1990. Metallica made the Black Album, which is very, which is very fucking spinal tap. It, <laughs> how much more black can it get the answer is none <laughs> none more black but like <laughs> it's like Metallica make the fucking black album and all of a sudden heavy metal and horror film go shit <laughs> it's 
just like... <laughs> See, I love that you mentioned the Black Album because I knew people that were always like very Cinematallica sold out when they did Load and Reload. I'm like, I think they kind of sold out with the Black it's Album. It's when they because... fucking got together with Bob fucking Rock. <laughs> just yeah. like... Bob. Oh, Bob fucking rock. <laughs> who who was in a Canadian uh, synth new wave band called Paola. I don't know if anybody. I didn't know that. that. <laughs> You're such it's, a font of knowledge. I think they uh, they are on the soundtrack for Valley Girl. So curious, yeah. Which shows you his heavy metal credentials <laughs> right there. But, yeah, and then he gets uh, Metallica and he tries to turn them into Motley Crew. And fucking Lars Ulrich's oh. just eating it up, like, <laughs> like cocaine's a hell of a drug. Fuck That's off, all... Lars. <laughs> fuck off, Lars. You were never my favorite member. He's, well, I Lars loved is... it when I saw Metallica. I saw Metallica at Donington in two thousand and three, and Lars had had a coke meltdown, and so they got Dave Lombardo <laughs> to drum instead, and oh. it was fucking brilliant. <laughs> Oh, nice. Nobody no, missed him. <laughs> and, Joey, and Joey Jordison from Slipknot. Well, basically, they just had to get all the bands that were behind stage and say who can play Metallica songs because Lars has had a fit on the plane and so there's going to be no Metallica. So basically, they just dragged a load of people to learn songs during the day. Obviously, the crowd didn't know what was going on. And the only songs that anyone could play were the old Metallica songs, so we didn't get any of their post-Black album <laughs> shit. <laughs> it was like, great. <laughs> and then they mainly had Dave Lombardo and Joey Jordison, but they had a couple of other people. But I remember Joey Jordison coming on at the end with um, James Hetfield. He's really, really tall. Joey Jordison's this tiny little man. He had his little slipknot mask on. And he looked like a little <laughs> child in a trick-or-treat costume. <laughs> <laughs> Oh this is God, not that's... relevant to anything. <laughs> oh, but it is. It, it is. That's um. Well, and you know that's and actually I love that you brought up Slipknot because yeah, we're talking about part of the you know the great things about Spinal Tap in eighties uh, metal was the sense of exploration and bigness and color. Um, and that color goes different ways too. You know, I mean, there's the hair rock, obviously, but you even have like bands, kind of like prog, more prog metal bands like Halloween and Sabotage, exploring different themes or Grim Reaper. Um, you know, and so you have bigness in the and ideas too. But uh, but like, why? How come bands like Slipknot aren't regarded? You know, I think I think Slipknot always got well regarded, but a lot of the '80s bands definitely. I mean, did any? I don't think most '80s metal bands got that respected. Even, I, I've even the seen, ones... I've, I've seen Slipknot by accident about four times. <laughs> I don't know. By accident, they, yeah, just they <laughs> happened to be there when I was seeing someone else. They do actually put on a good stage show, but it is a bit. I, I don't know. It, it's like in in an age when you know long big hair is no longer acceptable for heavy metal not in the 80s way but wearing clown masks is i just i don't know i sound like an old person 
At that uh, same festival, though, no, it was well, it's Donington, which we'll talk about in a bit because bad news. Um, it's a Donington festival. I went a couple of years later with my sons, who were young teenagers at the time, and Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer were all playing. Oh, and Anthrax nice. with Joey Belladonna, and Joey Belladonna yes. comes on stage, and my kids are like, "Who the hell is that old man?" <laughs> Oh my god, no! Like, this was the music when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, my heart just stopped for a second. I love Jerry Bellatoni. <laughs> it's like he did look old, man. Years haven't been kind. But it oh. was it was great to see all that whole lot. I don't that wasn't the year Metallica was out though, so they didn't have the big four. But um but yeah, it was good to see that kind of celebration of of old old metal. I guess some of these bands now, like Crew, are kind of considered uh, bigger and Guns and Roses in in a more classic way now. I guess they're more respected now than they were at the time. Yeah, well, it's that's the thing that's always perplexed me, and this is a little bit of a side rant here. Is that I've I think Guns and Roses have always been really because I seem like. Yeah, you know, my memory at least is that even when they came out, yeah, you know, that was like the one metal band or hard rock band that it was like, oh, it's respectable to like them and unpopular opinion here. I mean, Guns N' Roses to me were good. I think there were loads of bands that were way better that deserved to be as big as them. Um, and that's bands ranging anywhere from uh, Hanoi Rocks to Helix to Early Raven. Uh so many there were just so many better bands than Guns N' Roses I loved uh, Guns N' Roses at the time they're good they're good I loved them I don't know why uh, there was just something about the their first I didn't like her, their latest stuff but their first album had a lot of punk in it I think which is what mm. I liked about it. they were quite punk at one point when they were on that True. kind of junky thing and then they started doing november rain and axel rose <laughs> thought he was the God. second coming of christ Ugh. and yeah i didn't like them then but i loved them on the first album when they came along they were like really exciting and i wasn't really into that kind of hair thing at all but i like i like those so i think they kind of united a lot of people at the time they had a bit of a crossover appeal like even the thrash fans secretly liked them um they're talking of bad news it's like that i'm gonna get out of the bus if 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 we go into new romantics it was a bit of that at the time like you could only like one strain of metal you'd be like ejected and i was kind of one of those people that liked a bit of everything and i liked depeche mode and i still liked duran duran but it was all very like everyone was very militant about it it's like you had to be a glam rocker or into you had to be into thrash or you had to you know it was all like like that um and nobody liked anybody else and the punks didn't like the metalheads and <laughs> and i was oh, just God, into that's... everything i was just like you know Oh, that is so true. We came like babies From our home across the sea To see America And the people who opened up their arms To welcome us So... Yes. Spinal Tap. When did you first come come across it? Oh my, I remember it so clearly. It was so perfect. Um, 
the year was, I believe, 94. And uh, my family, we were moving. And it was a long, it was like a three-day arduous move of moving shit and cleaning the old place so they could try and get the deposit back. And the last night we spent in that house, we all had to sleep in the living room on mattresses because all the other furniture was out. But we did have the TV and VCR, and my stepdad had rented this is Spinal Tap. He had seen it. He was like, girls, let me show you this great movie. And oh my God, it was, I laughed so hard. I loved it. I immediately, when we got settled in the new place, I rented it again. And just, it was, it was love from first sight. It's just, oh, I obviously still love it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I, I came across it in the eighties because my dad is a musician and um, a blues musician, but he did have a heavy rock band in the early 70s. I called, think they were called Fat Bitch or something. <laughs> he got that oh wrong. God. He did oh actually see Led Zeppelin before they were famous, but he kind of went anti-heavy metal by the 70s and got into The Clash. And it was my dad who kind of introduced me to that alternative music with The Clash, The Clash. So, um, um but my dad was absolutely fucking love Spinal Tap because I think it's applicable to all kind of music in a way. Like if you're a musician who tours and, you know, just the whole lifestyle of it gets a bit ridiculous. So even though it wasn't a genre he played in, he saw a lot to relate to, I guess, in it. So so I, I, I think we must have rented it on video um, and watched it. And I just thought it was fucking hilarious. But at the same time, because I was just getting into metal myself, it was kind of cool as well, if that makes sense. Um, and uh, as was bad news, because it was kind of taking the piss, but it was also kind of part of that lexicon as well. So, yeah, it, I related to it in, in that way, even though the songs are fucking ridiculous. They're really well <laughs> pay, played. They're really well done and just the whole thing. So, um, and ever since then, there's probably not a year that doesn't go by when I don't watch it. I'm on my third viewing. I watched it again to do the notes for this. Um, third viewing this year, actually. <laughs> oh, my. That's so, amazing. Oh, and you just triggered a memory for me, a Spinal Tap memory that was so cool is that when my parents were dating, um, like my step, because uh, my stepdad, um, he had like their album that they did after the the film, "Break Like the Wind." Oh, not to be not to be confused with the Scorpion song <laughs> "Breaking the Wind." <laughs> but he had it. But he he'd like to he'd like to rile my mother up. Like he'd tease her and he'd play "Bitch School," <laughs> and you know, there's that end of where you go, you hear like him, like David go good girl like that like and, and he'd do that he'd touch my mom's head he'd go good girl and she'd be like she's like get your hands off me you son of a bitch <laughs> it was so well that's oh, the thing so because awesome. they worked and they went out on tour and they did albums and they kind of live beyond this one film because everyone loves a tap everyone loves them and even like recently, they've done reunion tours and stuff, and turned up uh, and done gigs and things. And so they 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 become like a ironically they start off as a a mockumentary, but they become a band in their own right, which is quite incredible. That live beyond just this 
this one film. Um, and, you know, there was merchandise and albums and God knows what else that you could, you could get off of Spinal Tap because people just fucking loved them. They tapped into America and then they tapped into the world. They tap. They tap. <laughs> It's like, let's tap into America. I think it's because we all wanted them to be a real band, though, because, like you said, they're all ridiculous characters. But you you like them and you want them to be real in a way. They kind of capture your imagination in that way and the the sort of trials and tribulation. Like at the end of the film, when um, Nigel comes back to the band, I love that bit. I get really excited. (laughs) It's It's so... Especially when they show uh, Ian their manager standing next to Janine and he's got his cricket <laughs> hat and he looks so happy. I'm like, oh, all is right with the world now cuz Ian. <laughs> Can we talk about why you think you're Ian? <laughs> oh lord. So, for anybody listening to cat to get you in inside cuz we don't want too many in jokes, cat. We don't want to have too many. We don't <laughs> I'm sorry. Any mention That's of bit... this film Heather will turn up and say that she is Ian. <laughs> I am the Ian. <laughs> Well, every, I I think it's because I I'm I'm a very pasty neurotic, um, and there's a an alternate version world version of me that probably does wield a giant cricket bat and <laughs> says things like I'm not going to be talked to by some twisted old fruit. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love it so. You know, just as God made me, sir. But um, Ian's just amazing. And I was actually, I did not find this out so earlier this year, and I'm so ashamed. I did not realize that Tony Hedra, who plays Ian, uh, was not only a really pivotal writer on, for the National Lampoon magazine, but he also wrote this amazing novelty song called Deteriorata, oh. uh, which I heard a lot over here on Dr. Domeno's show, which uh, has such great lines like, uh, you're a fluke in the universe. You have no right to be here. <laughs> it's a great song so um so yeah i don't know ian just i feel like he gets me i i i too do not want to be uh taking orders from a woman that dresses like an australian's nightmare you know like i he gets me (laughs) see i've always felt more like um nigel i love nigel i love him so much i'm always confused though (laughs) my heart's in the right place but you know I've always felt there... like Nigel. I really identify with Nigel because the world is confusing for Nigel. Do you have your chewing gum on your finger so you can... <laughs> I am chewing chewing gum right now. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so I told you. I didn't get the spandex on though because, you uh, know, as I said to hey. Heather earlier, I probably couldn't get my one foot in my old 80s spand. I can't believe you used to wear those, but I wouldn't yeah. bring sp- spandex back. <laughs> That's the one thing I wouldn't bring spandex, back. Yeah, I think I think spandex only needs to come back if you're a member of Steel Panther. Like those guys, they can do it. Well, this is the thing. Spinal Tap sort of preempts uh, Steel Panther, who we both love and mm. are hilarious, and they kind of really get that over the top, decadent sort of eighties hair metal scene. <laughs> Things like community property are just yes. fucking amazing. And they've come into the cosh recently. Um, and it just goes to show sort of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because you've got that scene in Spinal Tap where Fran Drescher 
Um, he, he's having a go at them for their misogynist uh, cover. That Spinal Tap just having a go. <laughs> poor, <laughs> poor Nigel's like, what's wrong with being sexy? And they're like, it's sexist. <laughs> I just, I just love it. She's like, you got, you have a woman, a nude woman on all fours. <laughs> the way she's up. saying it as well. <laughs> <laughs> with the bitch shoving a glove in her face. You were telling me it that's was, not... <laughs> It was all ad-libbed as well. They, uh, Bobby Fleckman um, is the character uh, oh, I love her. and she she's like is she like a pr kind of woman isn't she very new york yeah. and very kind of but they were all ad-lib they got uh, actors and there's so many kind of celebrity cameos as well but they had mainly the actors they picked were people that could just ad-lib and i think that's what's so great and what makes it feel so genuine like for example the bits when they're ringing they're reading out those amazing and rob reiner's playing the uh, documentarian is reading out these these uh, <laughs> these oh, reviews yes. of the bands and there's this one what day did the lord make spinal tap and couldn't he have rested on that day and they didn't they hadn't heard the the uh, you know, McKean and Guest and um, Harry Shear hadn't heard those reviews. It was all ad-libbed. So they're responding to them, like, organically. And I think that's what I love about it. It's just so organic. And, of course, that then sort of is a forerunner for things like The Office, not the American version, but things like the UK Office which uh, by Ricky Gervais. Who, and it, in watching it, you would think it was a real documentary, very sort of natural and organic it kind of foreshadows that 30 years before wow that's you know i never even thought about that but that's i think that's an incredible observation i love that and also the quick-wittedness of this entire movie and especially knowing that about that scene because one of my favorite lines is when one of the reviewers critiquing them say the band is swimming in a sea of retarded sexuality (laughs) and the band responds well that's nitpicky isn't it and it's absolute genius when you think about it because they're kind of you know they would they said that um on their commentary that they did that they uh, basically they were asked to come up with this screenplay and they were going to get paid fifty thousand dollars um and they had to come up with this screenplay and they went away to this hotel room where rob reiner was living in a hotel room and they spent three days there trying to come up with this screenplay they knew they knew the treatment that it was going to be about spinal tap and you know this band here making a comeback but they couldn't explain it on paper and so they said to the investors we'll give us the money we'll go and we'll make a demo because we have to show you because they just didn't think it would work if it was written down um, and so they went off and they shot like parts of the film Stonehenge was in it um, that part what's that first band there in the flower men is oh, it the yeah, flower men with ed begley well, the, jr on the drums when they're doing the, the drummers thing the flower people the listen flower. to the flower people <laughs> that that uh, was in the demo so and bits of the demo actually ended up in the main films because they had to show people what they meant because there was no precedent for it they couldn't i guess say well it will be like this or 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 that because there was nothing like it i guess they their their kind of inspiration was hard day's night 
um, but it's beyond hard days night. It's nothing night hard days night if, if you think about it. That's just so cool. I didn't even because usually like hard days night also inspired Spice World. So I think of the films inspired by hard days night. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love Spinal hard days King. night. I do really like hard days night. And my dad. Oh, it's great. Big, I'm talking about him in past tense. He's still with us. But was when I was growing up, was a huge Beatles fan, and so that was part of my thing but that was kind of a larger than life that wasn't really the Beatles it was kind of a, a mock sort of tribute to the Beatles where everything was beefed up and made larger in life and more comical so I can see how they drew from that but Spinal Tap's a completely different animal in itself because it's it's just this organic kind of thing that grows and then grows beyond the film um, so whereas the Beatles were were a band in their own right making a film, Spinal Tap weren't until the film, and then they become their own entity, which I think is incredible. Listen to what the flower. I think, you know, because it's pretty incredible, too, to think of a film that is about a type of music and a type of band that were very, like, symptomatic of a specific era, but there's nothing dated in the film. Like, the film itself is still fresh. It still feels fresh. It's still just, you know, even though it's clearly set in a time period, it it works just as well now uh, as it did when it came out. Well, I think because it's one of those stories that people can kind of relate to. It's this idea of people trying to make it and, and you know, this idea of stardom as well. I mean, you could quite easily have made the film, I guess, about actors or any kind of industry where things get ridiculous when people become famous. Like, I love the how they do the take on the rider, the famous, uh, <laughs> the famous rock band riders. And they're, they're, um, they're uh, sort of... Uh, inspiration was apparently Van Halen had uh, in their rider was uh, M&M's but no brown M&M's so some poor bastard would have to sit there picking <laughs> picking them out <laughs> and they've got Nigel with that miniature fucking bread I love that scene he's trying to get the big piece of ham in this tiny piece of bread and he's like I've been working with this for half an hour <laughs> and he's just so serious about it <laughs> it's just your first, like, this is a catastrophe. Oh, he's like folding that. Or maybe he could, like, oh. fold this it's like it doesn't work. <laughs> but, well, you know, kind of, you know the story behind the Van Halen writer? This no, is I don't a... actually. No, no, tell, tell. Oh, this is the coolest story, and just all the more reason why everyone and their mothers should have an altar to David Lee Roth. <laughs> If in your, at the very least in your heart, if not in your home. But <laughs> no, that's they he actually that was his idea. And part of the reason was that, you know, their previous rider, they had very specific requirements because they had types of gear and stage setup. And, 
you know, people, the promoters wouldn't look at them and they put them in an old theater where some of the gear didn't fit or that there wasn't like correct electrical circuitry for what they needed for their show. So he had this idea of like, okay, I'm going to put in something so absurd and so ridiculous that, you know, as a test to see if they even read the writer. Because it's like, so if they went in like the dressing room and there was like no green M&Ms or no brown M&Ms or whatever, he'd be like, okay, they read the writer. We're going to be good to set up. God, that so is was, genius, isn't it? He he is a fucking genius. <laughs> that is David genius. Lee Roth is a genius. I've, I swear to God, if he ever opens up a school where it's like Kung Fu, like that show Kung Fu, where like he, he's taking on grasshoppers to train, I will be his grasshopper. I will try and catch the pebble from David Lee Roth because he is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. I think it's become part of the rock star myth now, though, hasn't it? That people would, the riders would get more and more outrageous as bands tried to kind of top each other. Because the other great thing about it was this competitive element that you got in in the 80s with bands constantly trying to outdo each other with bigger stage shows and bigger hair and more lurid artwork on their albums. And they'd never get away with that now. And, but at the time, it was like anything goes. You had fucking Tommy Lee on that, like like that fucking spinning <laughs> drum kit. <laughs> it was like, how much bigger can it can it get? He's like, none more bigger. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Or one of a great one of my favorite examples of over the top '80s stage shows was that era of Wasp. Where they'd have like they'd have like a naked woman on a cruise. <laughs> like, oh my god! I saw Wasp later on. I think in two thousand and seven, in Bristol Beer Keller, and they were fucking amazing. I don't know how old Blackie Lawless is now, but he still looked great. Um, but he's gone all born again Christian, and it, and if anyone reads his blog, he's got this very pro-Trump, pro-Christian Ew. blog, which is like Blackie. You know, wasp, we are sexual perverts. See <laughs> what happened. <laughs> so they refuse to play uh sing fuck like a beast now. They oh. won't they won't do it. Um but apart from that, they were fucking incredible. They were incredible. And the best thing about it was there were loads of young kids there who were like I say young kids, like twenty year olds. But they were really into it as well. So there was like a really diverse audience but definitely one of the best um bands that i've seen live definitely and they didn't have all the crazy stage show with them though was the only thing it's like a small venue but even just them with blackie with the hair like he looked exactly like he did back in the day it was crazy man well, and that's the thing I think a lot of critics don't give a lot of a lot of metal bands credit. It's like for bands that did kind of an elaborate stage shows back in the day, is it that it almost was like, oh, well, it's not real. And it's like, well, fuck you. Of course. I mean, like, look at Blue Oyster Cult. Like, they were absolutely famous in the 70s for having like these elaborate. They were one of the early bands to do laser, like work with a lot of lasers with their shows. At one point, they had a giant Godzilla on stage, which is uh, holy shit well i would i would oh my god i would like cut off one of my toes yakuza style if i could travel back in time <laughs> i saw <laughs> maiden with eddie when they bring eddie on and that's fucking Aww. incredible a Aww, giant eddie, eddie. Uh, and alice cooper's shows as well i mean they were like Aww. clanging oh they were like you know 
I mean, Cooper really set the bar. I'm not a huge Alice Cooper fan, to be honest, but I love his whole idea. I'm just not a great fan of his music. Probably oh, kill see, me I... now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love you. I love you unconditionally. I do love Alice Cooper's music, though. Oh my god! But um, but yeah, but but the case of point, like I actually got to see Boyster Cult live um a few years ago, and obviously this is latter day. There's no stage show, but they oh they killed. They absolutely killed it. And that's the thing is that a lot of these you know people overlook just how great the music is with metal like they get blinded by the imagery but also what's wrong with having some fun imagery i mean that's sort of like saying uh, you, you want oatmeal with no sweetener or fruit well who wants fucking plain oatmeal that's boring <laughs> give me I, I, I want laser light shows with my oatmeal damn it i want I want bloody skeletons and and Eddie and <laughs> see that's what the thing about the tap is the the way that they take on the stage shows in that as well fucking Stonehenge <laughs> it's got to be one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life even though every single time when they do the little oh the little children of Stonehenge I know what's gonna happen. <laughs> And every time it just reduces me to tears. It's just. <laughs> oh, you have to tell you have the best story about Stonehenge. Well, I did. Cat. Yeah, I was on my ex-husband and I were having a huge argument one day and Spinal Tap just happened to be on the TV in the background. And um, and we were having this huge argument and the Stonehenge scene came on and I couldn't continue the argument because I just had to start laughing. I remember it was about something really serious as well. And it's like, sorry, I can't argue with you anymore because like this, <laughs> this is like, I think everybody needs that to hand when they're feeling a bit testy, <laughs> a bit upset. Because you cannot watch that scene and not and not crack up. It's just fucking hilarious. This tiny little fucking Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> Stonehenge was just threatened to be crushed by a dwarf. <laughs> I know my favorite. They got that mandolin solo, and one of the one of the little guys are dancing around, and like the Stonehenge mo- it moves like it's just the way they dance around it. <laughs> oh God, it's so. Oh, it's a good, and, you know, I, I don't know if you know, like, the historical basis for this. No, this is, I don't. I don't. Oh, my God. This is one of my favorite <laughs> oh, things. Oh, no, hang my, on. Was it something to do with Black Sabbath? Yes. Yeah. Vague one of my, memory. Vague, vague memory. But no, go on. I, I can't remember. Okay. So I am, um, and I found this out reading Tony Iommi's um, autobiography. Uh, which uh, which was all right. I, I'm still kind of holding out for the Bill Ward autobiography, which <laughs> I don't know if that's even existence, but it needs to because I love Bill Ward. I know you love Bill Ward. I love him so much. <laughs> he is <laughs> the one and true drummer for Black Sabbath. So, but um, but no, when they were doing the Born Again tour, uh, which is a really underrated album with Ian Gillen, which is so amazing, um, they they have this little instrumental song called Stonehenge. And there, I think it was Don Arden's idea, who was their manager at the time, um, and coincidentally is Sharon Osbourne's father, uh, to have this giant stone. It was almost like the it was so opposite of Spinal Tap. It was this giant Stonehenge <laughs> that couldn't couldn't fit into most venues, and they only they only did it like two or three times. But they had a a little person actor that like I think got thrown off of it or something. And Tony was like, "Oh my god, god I'm going to see this midget die!" Like I don't or sorry, I should say midget. You know what I mean? Like, 
Oh my god. So they only did it like a handful of times and I think there was like a I don't know if this is a rumor. I feel like I read somewhere that the nobody knows what happened to the prop and it might have been thrown out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> so I Oh my can god. You, you imagine like going to the beach and being like, what is that in the water? It's a giant stonehenge prop. <laughs> Hopefully the midget wasn't still on it. <laughs> I, I hope that little dude's okay. Like, oh my poor poor that's such a good album too, but the trials gee, and yeah. tribulations of being in the in part of the act for a heavy metal band is part of the support <laughs> act. <laughs> Oh my it's God, a difficult like, world out there. Oh, the only thing that would have been better if they had Ian Gilling scaling the giant Stonehenge prop like King Kong, and he's like, hold it, like there's a little person dressed like Fay Ray. <laughs> I would love that. I would, I would so love that. <laughs> I should have been managing that. <laughs> you could be the manager. Just don't make them wear costumes based on their astrological <laughs> this is your crap oh, face oh god we have to talk about the amazingness of janine now the, i love the, janine i, I absolutely love janine and the way that she, the rest of the band fucking hate her and i wrote a rather mean review of a rob zombie film once saying that he'd gone a bit david sent hubbins about his wife <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Please, she's please good. Like, she's good. Your fucking wife. <laughs> she's she's good in the Devil's Rejects, but I I just think Gunner is the Michael Myers mum was a stripper. It's like basically every time she comes on, she has to get her ass out. Cause Rob's like, look at my wife's ass. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> As a weird oh aside, God. actually, I saw Rob Zombie. Oh, I I love his stage shows, but he was supposed to bring a big robot, and it wouldn't fit in the venue. Ironically, given <laughs> what we were talking about, <laughs> it's like where's the oh fucking God. robot? But we did get an extra half hour of exclusive songs to apologise for the for the lack of robot, which I'd read about in Metal Hammer, and then it apparently couldn't get it through the doors. <laughs> Oh god! Oh god! Oh, I'm crying over here. That's that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. That's so. So Janine, back to Janine. He was the Yokost. They called her the the Yoka on the on their commentary. They called her the Enter the Yoko plot when she arrives. She kind of drives the band apart, but she is just so bloody good. With the oh zodiac signs and her birth charts, signs <laughs> oh. so stupid costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> when they when it gets to David and he's like this beautiful lion and like meanwhile it's like you've got this weird crab bug creature. <laughs> this is your crab face. <laughs> and June Chadwick is so good as Janine. Like, I don't want. Oh, she's perfect. Well, they they looked at a lot of actresses for that part, and I, I'm trying to think now. My mind's gone blank, so I'm just laughing at robots and and crab faces. <laughs> Who else was in the running for it? But there were other other actresses in in the running for that part. But apparently, she came in and just did a test and whatever, and she was just so perfect for the role. They were like, yes, 
because oh. oh she's just she's she's just so unlikable in a way because you kind of really care about that point in the film and this is the genius of spinal tap you really care about david and nigel's relationship and she kind of comes in the middle of that and 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 threatens to break up the band so i feel sorry for her in a way because you don't like janine but you love her because she's so... she's so ridiculous in her clothes and just the crap that she comes out with. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's listening because I um in preparation for this episode earlier today, I was listening to part of the uh, commentary track where that's all done in character, and even then, it's like <laughs> Nigel's like you know, ripping on her car. Co- her 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 look is like, yeah, oh, was she supposed to be Eddie Oakley? <laughs> or, and, and David's like, I still like that look. It's like it's so cute. But oh, uh, there's one of my favorite Janine moments in this is, and it's so, and this is like a subtle thing, but she does it so beautifully when they're when Marty to Bergie's talking to her and David, and David's like, you know, oh, you know, Janine and Nigel actually are, are very similar, and you see this look on her face that she's trying. <laughs> You can. She's like, ah. <laughs> I love that scene. It's she does it so beautifully, and uh, I like I, it when they do the wings as well. When she becomes a bit of a Linda McCartney, and they do that freeform <laughs> jazz thing. <laughs> she's on the tambourine. <laughs> the jazz odyssey. <laughs> it poor. Oh my god, I feel Linda McCartney. I always feel bad, but God, that. Her voice and coming up, she's not. She just. Oh. She should just have stuck to making vegetarian sausages because <laughs> I do. I do like the Linda McCartney vegetarian sausages. I must admit, <laughs> I don't like wings. I don't. Well, especially don't like wings where you have to hear like coming up. Like, <laughs> what the fuck was that? Like, what was? I mean, Admiral Halsey's really good, though. I will say I do love me some Admiral Halsey. Paul McCartney doing dumb voices makes me happy for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's a weakness, but yeah. He never Janine... did any songs as good as Spinal Tap, though. I mean, that's no. the, other, the names of oh, songs. No. Sex Farm Woman. Little <laughs> 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 no, I Love Pump. I it's love a the... musical <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> Especially because it's in D minor, the saddest. <laughs> it's the saddest note. The saddest, the saddest <laughs> of the kids. Oh, the God, some of the lyrics. Because, like, I was a sex farm woman. Can't you see my silo rising high? high <laughs> they must have had such a blast writing them because they're just hilarious. And it oh. carries on to the stuff that Steel Panther are doing. Steel Panther are actually getting attacked for doing this stuff by certain parts of the modern day press. I read an article recently with some very po-faced man who, who really just didn't get the idea of what they were about and that it was parody and satire and you know he was like yes but laughing at this makes it acceptable and so you know they're misogynistic and blah 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 and you know it's like dude (laughs) 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 need to get out more oh god well you know and it's no different from like you know tipper gore and the whole pmrc anybody that criticizes and you notice this throughout time that you know that has these very just very ignorant approaches to art in general 
uh, they look like they've neither had an orgasm nor a good laugh <laughs> in at least ten years. But it's, it's like, like we've got it's like we've gone full circle. We need D. Schneider to come back and save us because I love D. Snyder. I love D. Snyder. <laughs> In, I look. I loved D. Snyder at the time. I still love D. Snyder, and D. Snyder is somebody with a good sense of humour. I think the uh, oh Lemmy for Christ's sake. Oh, I think you know Lemmy. <laughs> the wonderful Lemmy. I think a lot of these bands was the fact that they just didn't take themselves too seriously. Status quo. I not. I've never been a fan of their music, but every interview I've seen with them has been fucking hilarious. I think Rick Parfitt told one story about where they'd been snorting so much speed and he went into the studio to kind of practice his hook and he was there for 24 hours just playing the same hook over and over again. And they would just tell these stories about, like, the crazy shit that they got up to, but just so much sense of humour about it. Ozzy Osbourne, so much sense of humour. Lemmy, absolutely hilarious. I uh, well, it's funny you talking about that. I believe it was Lemmy that had the story about there was one show where they a band like somebody had played a prank on this guy and he was hanging over like over a drum kit like suspended in air and he ended up passing out and they pulled <laughs> it down and they and they asked him like what what happened and he was like I was trying to take a shit on him and I passed out. <laughs> like he passed out pretty straight of trying to defecate on him. It's just oh, it's uh, Lemmy's autobiography it's all... is hilarious though. The oh. stuff, the Hawkwind stuff. He says about Nick Turner coming on dressed as a frog, trying <laughs> to like do sax uh, solos over everybody else. And apparently he was dressed as a frog once, and he was sliding around <laughs> on the stage, and he fell off. <laughs> oh God, There's the no story. love lost there. <laughs> oh, and I love Nick Turner. The, but the Hawkwood stories of that book, because my favorite was there was this, he had this story about um, my man, Robert Calvert. You know, I'm a huge oh, Robert Calvert gosh, fan. Girl. I and know the argue, story. You know, where he's like, Robert, like, let me have got a dinner with Calvert. And I can't remember. It was one of the guys from the Bonzo uh, Doodog band. My saying is that I always get the order. <laughs> bon- I know Bonzo. what you mean. Yes. Uh, which is a great band. That's why I feel bad of maybe like fucking up their name. But, <laughs> but, but Calvert and this gentleman argued, they argued for like an hour at dinner. And then Robert followed the guy to his house <laughs> to continue to argue with him. And this guy had all of these turtles in these glass containers <laughs> on his stairs. So they had to go through the window of the place because like the main entrance was blocked and like the guy was like i'm tired of arguing with you i'm gonna go take a bath and so robert pulls up a chair and follows him into the bathroom <laughs> and at that point levy's like i'm leaving guys like i'm going home and he's over the next day this guy like came after Lemmy and he's like you killed my terrapins <laughs> and he's like it was calvert you idiot like it wasn't me <laughs> Robert Calvert was a bit intense, though, wasn't he? Oh, he's he's so perfect. That's the, did you ever hear the story? I, I know this is a side note, but this actually, I think, the humor, humor and rock and roll plays perfectly with Tap, where um, in the 80s, Robert got a megaphone and stood outside where Hawkwind were playing and was like, don't give them money. You know, like, just, <laughs> he was like, they, oh, they, they never paid me or something I like that. I love the way and, they dumped him, though. Well, they had a good thing of dumping people didn't they like in oh, spinal oh my, tap multiple. like 
like um Nigel just storms <laughs> off but like Lemmy got sacked from Hawkwind when he got busted no he got mugged and left in a skip and they just left and left him there and then he got busted for speed and they'd replaced him by the time he caught up with them in Canada but Robert Calvert they were playing in France and he had a manic episode and thought all the world leaders were in the mosh pit and was apparently oh. in a toilet making like big mountains out of toilet paper um, and the rest of the band were like Robert's gone a bit strange so they got up really early and got in the van to like escape and apparently saw them leaving was running after the van <laughs> and I can't remember who it was but one of them was like I'll never forget the look on his face if he caught us <laughs> he was so like, oh god oh I think it was Simon Turner was it <laughs> like it was their their violinist he was amazing um but yeah like oh god Hawkwind just the anything with Nick like there was a I heard a live version of them doing Psy Power at the intro, you actually hear Nick go, you know, backstage, just that who Lloyd Langdon and Dave Rock almost got in a fight. I think they should continue it out here, don't you? <laughs> and then you hear both Hugh and Dave being like, shut up, Turner! <laughs> and then you hear Nick just going, ha ha ha, like that. And he's just laughing. Like, oh my, I love you, Nick Turner. Like, Hawkwind, oh my, Hawkwind are... They're Where the real like life a... tap, aren't they, really? Hawkwind. Oh, my God. Well, they played at Stonehenge. <laughs> there like... you go. <laughs> the real Stonehenge. They <laughs> are like... But then, um, I know we talked about this earlier, um, and you hadn't, you'd only seen bits of it. Metallica's Some Kind of Monster documentary, which was made around the same time they brought out Scent. Um, Scent Anger, is it called? That terrible oh, yeah. Return to Form album that's <laughs> not very good. Um, but they did this documentary where they got in this counsellor to like bring them together. And by this time, they're all sort of consumed by ego and wealth. Like Lars Ulrich has got like some prized painting collection that he's flogging off at a private gallery and drinking champagne. And James Hetfield is like you know, missing his son's first birthday because he just has to go off on a bear-hunting, vodka-drinking <laughs> fucking holiday in Russia. And he's expecting <laughs> people to feel sorry for him. And it's like fucking Spinal Tap, but it's supposed to be a serious documentary. It is hilarious. <laughs> what did I... And they fall out, like Lars and they... It's just after they've sacked Jason Newstead and Lars and... um. James fall out as well, and they have to get this like counselor in to bring them together, um, and and so they bring in that Rob Trejo as well. They're like trying to find a new, and there's Paul um, Kirk Hammett who never gets involved in anything. He's <laughs> he's he's like Derek Smalls, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> That's why he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and there's this bit in it where Jason Newstead's got a new band, so they kind of sneak off to watch his new band, hoping it'll be a flop. And they get there, and there's all like people cheering. There's like a big crowd. <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. It's supposed to be dead, deadly serious, and I just don't. And even Lars's dad's on it. Lars's dad is like the best, best. But he he looks like this sort of wanderer from ancient Norway, like some, some like, <laughs> Nord god or something. <laughs> it's like this old hippie guy with a staff. 
and he's like they're asking him what he thinks of the new album like Lars is like oh, what do you think of it and he's like I would delete that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay I I had number one I have to say this number two I think I may love Lars's dad That's no I love <laughs> Lars's dad he's great they should have him as a man they should have had him replace Jason Newstead <laughs> and just not have a base, just have him waving his staff around or something. <laughs> That's I mean, very fucking awkward. hell, they had Marianne Faithful on a swing. <laughs> oh. Well, I believe <clears throat> this this is the document, and correct me if I'm wrong because you have seen all of it, that um, there is a joke that uh, the great, you know, our friend and writer, Bill Ackerman, uh, made a joke to me one time about about a, forming a band called Mustaine's Tears, <laughs> and he sent me this picture of Dave Mustaine crying. But the, the, oh he added, oh, he Dave. ate it. He <laughs> he's on the documentary. Dave <laughs> gets he... in on the counseling session. <laughs> but Bill added little like Microsoft Paint tears to his real tears, <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard. I hope Bill. I hope you don't mind me telling the story because it's oh, so funny. I do. I do love Dave Mustaine though. I do. Love well, Megadeth. Him. Yeah. I oh, early I, Megadeth. I Jeez, love so Megadeth. Or Mega Dave. Mega Dave. (laughs) I love Mega Dave. Uh, But I never understood why he was always like, you could tell he was still like really like bombed out, I guess, because of like how he got kicked out. But it's like, dude, Megadeth are one of the biggest metal metal bands. Megadeth never sold out for a start. Megadeth, you know, even as a born again Christian getting Rotten Christ kicked off bills. It's still Mega Dave. At least he's he's still managed to get some modicum of respect, whereas James and Lars haven't. It's amazing, though, how art imitates life. And the other one was um, the story of Anvil, which is very spinal tap. Bad news. Oh, Oh my God. Which I loved. I loved that film, but they're not very good, are they? You could see why. With with, with the the greatest (laughs) respect. (laughs) Why they never kind of broke out. Well, that was kind of the like you know, and again, I always feel like you feel bad almost criticizing them because they seem like such good dudes. And I remember they actually kind of had a resurgence because of that documentary, which was a good, which was a very good documentary. But it's and I was happy to see them because I'm like they're nice guys. But I mean, you know, I mean, there's some bands that don't make it that are legitimately really great, and just for whatever reason, you know, they don't they don't move up. But then there are some bands that don't make it because. I mean, Anvil didn't suck, but they weren't. I mean, come on, you play them next to like Anthrax, yeah, or they early just Metallica. No, yeah, no, they no. just really weren't. I don't know. I love them though. I love them as people, and that whole thing is just when they're going around Europe and they've got that dodgy manager and they're trying to get paid. And I guess you know you just really feel for them. And I think that's part of why Spinal Tap and Bad News, which we'll talk about next, work is because you can identify with people who kind of have a dream and they're working so hard. And so you go through this sort of thing, you know, with Spinal Tap, they've got their album launch and like everything's against them. And you just really you see how much they pour into it. 
Um, and I think if the film had approached it in, it brings in some of the more ludicrous elements, but it stays strictly away from the sex and drugs. And I think Reiner was wise to do that because although there's some hilarious real-life stories about groupie experiences or, you know, the more excessive parts of rock and roll, I think it would have detracted away from the fact that you've just got these guys who are just really, really trying to make it. It would have made them less sympathetic, I guess, to a, to a wider audience. And I think it was a wise move on... Reiner's part to to kind of stay away from that aspect of rock and roll yeah I mean nobody wants to see Spinal Tap with a mud shark I mean that's just <laughs> <laughs> also gross <laughs> but they do they, you, kind of, they, they don't have one groupie in it it's like but then neither to Anvil in their actual real film I don't think they've got any groupies have they no, they were nice Canadian boys, though. They were they were very, you know, because I, I watched a, there's an amazing documentary on Rush. And, you know, obviously Rush did make it and are still very huge. But it's it's funny because the guys from Kiss laughed about how they had toured together. And you know, Kiss, of course, have all these women going in and out of different hotel rooms. And they're all about the, the trim. And, and Rush would be, like, in their hotel rooms, like, reading. <laughs> <laughs> Like they really were not. We were. They were just like, no. We just, you know, I don't know. We just weren't part of that scene, you know. So I don't know. But um, of course, Helix were Canadian, one of my favorite rock bands that are very underrated, and they were all about the trim. Um, and if, <laughs> if, 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 in fact, there's a tie. I just realized there's a Helix Spinal Tap tie because uh, briefly you only see her for like a few seconds, but Brink Stevens, who kind of she is, isn't it, she? Brink Stevens <clears throat> pops up in it. She pops up, but she is also in the video for Helix's Gimme Gimme Good Lovin', <clears throat> which is a great video. And it also features a uh, a Tra uh, Tracy Lords when she was still an adult film. So it's a little suspect. <laughs> <laughs> I like I mean, the pause after Tracy yeah. Lords when she was like, there's that, always that little pause. There's a little, like... <laughs> I mean, she's. I mean, she's not like she's not even fully naked or anything. It's just like some <laughs> toplessness. But um, and she can't dance. Also, like Tracy Lord's a pretty girl. Good. She starts dancing. I'm like, is she okay? Like, is she? <laughs> she's like ridden by the loa. You know, like how in voodoo when you get possessed by the spirit, and they're saying you're being ridden by Dumbala. She's like, oh, like good. God. Oh my God. There's a reason why her titties are out because she can't dance. It's like just look at the titties. <laughs> Don't focus on the dancing. It <laughs> is. And rumor, rumor has it she banged the drummer of Helix, which she literally banged the least cute member of Helix. And Helix were not pretty boys, okay? <laughs> like, they were not... I love them to death. They were not a pretty boy rock band. And she literally... It's like... It's almost... She went out of her way, like, which guy is the least attractive out of these guys? Him. I there was always him. that thing, though, isn't there, of unattractive guys getting in bands? <laughs> it's like... And just so they can get laid. And that was a big part. I think a big part is more applicable to the bad news. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven.
he was younger than Spinal Tap. Um, and so, you you know, the comic strip presents bad news where you had Adrian Edmondson and Nigel Planer and, um, and Rick Mayo. Um, you... And they did a load of the different comic strips, so parodies of different things. They did, like, Fistful of Traveller's Checks, which I love was their take on <laughs> Spaghetti Western. So loads of them. Um, so, you know, you had that younger thing of these guys, I guess, heavy metal in a way, gave younger people, or young men specifically, especially working class men, young working classmen this kind of dream that they could escape this drudgery and become gods and get all the women and so you had during that time you know so many young lads that I knew at the time were all starting bands and they were all going to make it and they were all you know everyone was going to become famous and you know but it's not that easy um and I think comic strip especially it kind of shows you the the reality of it it's incredibly funny but it sort of shows the reality of that as well and spinal tap in the rock and roll just like the movie business sort of gives out this this sort of image that anyone can make it and become really famous and really rich and get all these women or or men if you're a woman and you become famous and all this power but that's only reserved for a few people and the downside of that is believing in this dream that's never going to work and I think you know there's a sort of sad irony in there that bad bad news kind of taps into even more than spinal tap because it's British and so in a way it's, it's slightly more cynical because we tend to be more cynical the British um I, I didn't mention the fact that before we moved to bad news, I thought for years that Spinal Tap were British. <laughs> <laughs> the accents are incredible, though. And, oh. you know, and, and, and British accents are a hard one to pull off. There's not many actors who can do it. Um, you can usually tell. There's usually like a little twang and there's so few people that can actually really, really pull it off genuinely and and they those guys have got it down to a t they're brilliant uh but they did say that when they first did it and they did the accents you know that was the whole thing oh we'll, we'll do the funny accents and kind of tap into that whole british scene um they thought that the british would reject them and say who are these yanks and they but they said that the british get tap more than anyone else like they buy into it more than any anyone else so rather than be rejected like we love them we love spinal tap but i thought for years and years and when i found out they weren't i was shocked <laughs> <laughs> that's that is amazing and i but i think it shows like you know all of those guys all three of those guys are, are great actors and they but they also take the time to study you can tell that they put in work into it. Unlike, say, you know, I mean, I hate I hate calling him out because I love Dick Van Dyke, but let me come on, Dick Van Dyke oh, and Mary Poppins. Or <laughs> the worst, the worst, though, for my money is Winona Ryder doing any British accent, especially oh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm it's like, like, stop, please stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, just do your normal voice. 
I think one of them, I think it might have been Christopher Guest actually went on tour with Saxon before they started filming. I think oh it might my have been Christopher God. Guest actually went on tour. They said they didn't want to take anything from any other band. They wanted to be their own thing. But I think he went and he observed and, you know, just saw what went on so they could get it more authentic which which it is and it works but but yeah i really bought into the whole idea that they were these sort of new wave of british heavy metal uh musicians and was thoroughly shocked when i first heard michael mckean speak in his real voice (laughs) (laughs) well think about how like i felt when i realized David St. Hubbins was one half of Lenny and Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley, this like 1970s. See, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) Yeah, you're not missing anything. I don't even know what that is. I didn't know that about Saxon. That's so cool because I love Saxon. And um, anybody listening who wants to, if, if you're using this episode as a primer, like you want to explore the world of 80s metal, Saxon's Power and Glory album is amazing. So just saying. Sex and they're and part of the tap as well, in their own way. They're part of the tap. Well, I always love that because Saxon has that, and I'm God, I'm blanking on saying that one guitarist who, I always joke, looks like a pizza, like a pizza delivery driver. Like, I'm like, you know, like everybody else got like the spandex and long hair. And there's this like balding dude that looks like he's he's taking a break from his shift at you know Pizza Hut or Domino's. Or like I'm like that guy rules. <laughs> But, oh, we'll see. And I'm glad. I'm so glad we're talking about Comic Strip Presents, too, because I think, you know, for maybe a number of Americans that may listen to this episode, they may not be familiar with this. And, um, hey, guys, it was it's the so, It was such oh. a huge part of my formative years, this and the young ones. And the young ones, I think, has become more so recently more popular in the States as a cult british tv show which again was um rick mail uh adrian edmondson nigel planer who played these students living in a house and bad news is like the thing that comes the closest to that in the adrian edmondson and the young ones plays a punk Rick Mayer was this like socialist stu- middle class student <laughs> and then Nigel Planer is the hippie Neil and he's a bit dim and so in Bad News in the comic strip presents they basically get a different thing for every episode and they run from anything from 30 minutes to 45 minutes my favourite one of all time and I don't know if you've seen it Heather is The Yob it's just fucking incredible so that their take on the fly where a middle-class, um, arty-farty video... He's this guy who does videos for bands like UB40s, really pretentious, accidentally gets mixed up with a skinhead, a working-class skinhead in the machine, and he becomes the yob, It's just, and it's got Keith Allen. They'd have this core sort of thing, Dawn French, um, a, a Jennifer Saunders, and they turn up in Bad News... And this Alexi Sale was another one who turned up a lot. Oh, God. Yeah, so it was this kind them. of, this sort of band of British comedians and they do these different things. So they did Bad News, which I think came out before Spinal Tap, if I'm not mistaken. I can't think what year it was. And then they did, in 1986, they did Return of Bad News or More Bad News, which was the follow-up, where they actually went on stage at Donington Festival 
and played and played and uh, as as a real band and they've got people like Lemmy in that in the part two but we'll talk about the first part which is their introduction as this this kind of group of working class lads apart from Rick Mayo's character Colin who's this very privileged posh kid that they've only got in the band apparently it comes out because he's got access to a PA <laughs> and um, and they're trying to make it on the heavy metal scene and Jennifer Saunders is this kind of um you know this this sort of interviewer a rock journalist who follows them around which which you made the observation sort of foreshadows the decline of the western civilization part 2 in a oh, way because right. yes. this was before this was before made before that uh, that was late 80s wasn't it Yes, because I think Western Civ, I believe, was around 87. The comic strip, the first Bad News is 83. Spinal Tap is 84. Yeah, so a year uh, before Spinal Tap. Yeah. Which is and, interesting. Uh, that is very interesting. Especially because I always view Tap, and actually this hit me this morning. Tap is almost, because Tap is like a band that have hit the pinnacle, and they're kind of on their way down. So they're almost like heavy metal pass. And bad news is like the decline of Western Civ two present <laughs> to yeah. the future, and because um, Tap came along, they they kind of represent that new wave of British heavy metal thing where you had in the early eighties, and then by the sort of mid eighties to like by nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty six, you had the hair metal, and you had Megadeth, and you had Metallica and Slayer, and it was kind of becoming more of a young man's business. And so you had these older bands like Aerosmith and the Scorpions, these sort of Ozzy Osbourne, who were kind of from the previous generation. You kind of got stuck in the transition. And some of them made odd choices like Winds of Change and going into the power ballad. Whereas people like (laughs) Ozzy went solo and did his own kind of hair metal thing. Um, you know, and Aerosmith got got in on the act there as well, and sort of, so so they could tap kind of represent that generation who was sort of stuck in this transition point where things are changing because they're older. They've they've been there and done their bit in the earlier eighties and the late seventies, and then bad news are the young kids who are coming along in the early eighties who will be the you know the next Metallica or whatever. So, and again, bad news is very connected. It's taking the piss out of, but also showing a love for the genre and the community and and the sort of trials and tribulations of what bands go through. So again, it's very genuine. It like taps. So you find that metalheads, rather than thinking, oh, well, it's, it's laughing at us, it's not. It's laughing with us in a way, so you you don't get that offence to it. Right. Uh, about what you were saying before, um, it's a valid question. I mean, don't get me wrong about that, but I think I think you're really starting out from uh, the wrong point of view because we're not basically a heavy metal band. Uh, we're a bit more subtle than that, aren't we, Colin? What? We're a bit more subtle than that. Yeah, we're subtle, but uh, basically we're heavy metal, aren't we? Colin's right, Tim. We made a record. It'd be so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, know, I know that. I know, but I mean, what I'm saying is we're just not s- simple heavy metal. You know. I thought we were heavy metal. Yeah, I, know, I, I know we've got heavy roots. You know, and I mean, 
What I'm trying to say is that, is that we're trying to progress a bit, you know, we're trying to break a few barriers. Are we? Yeah. Well, and, you know, the comic strip, and I didn't even realize this because the young ones, I remember the young ones distinctly when I was a kid because MTV would play it. And I instantly, even though I, I, you know, probably missed a lot of the references initially, <laughs> like I was really drawn to it. And, but they also used to show the comic strip. And the only thing I remember from that, and this is a side note, was um, I remember staying, I stayed up late one night and I saw something that really scared me. And I didn't realize until I was an adult, it was from the comic strip. It is from the um, episode Consuela. Oh, Consuela <laughs> is brilliant. Oh, it's so great. But there's this scene where I think it's, I want to say it's Peter Richardson who's standing outside the window, like sniffing his armpit. <laughs> <laughs> and for, I was, I mean, keep in mind, I was like, I was like five or something. I was a little kid and I just, I didn't know what I was seeing and it scared me for some reason. And I totally forgot about it till years later when I got into the comic strip as an adult. And I was like, ooh, you haven't seen this one. I threw it on. I was like, oh my God, this is that this is that show that scared the shit out of me. When I was, it I was, was like, so was... good though. They they <laughs> kinda took sort of different genres or or literature or television and pop culture references and they made these miniature films out of them which were which were just all of them brilliant. I think you can get them all now on on D V D, like the whole comic strip and there's ones i haven't seen i need to watch the whole series but they were such a huge part of my formative years and when i first saw bad news was that same time when i was just getting into heavy metal myself and so it, it was it again had this sort of coolness to it like the young ones were so cool at the time especially for all the kids were into it um, the kids that weren't supposed to be watching it. And we didn't really get all the <laughs> political references and things about fascism and all the strange little jokes. We just knew the damned were on there. And, yes. like, you know, they had a video nasty episode and, you know, it was just so cool and so funny. And Bad News was very much the same thing. And in their way, not as much as Spinal Tap, but they became a, a kind of thing in their own right as well and played at Donington and so on and so forth oh bad news is so oh god it's so good it's i actually rewatched that um the first one twice today because like i because I, I had to i was just like was laughing so hard i'm like no i gotta see it again especially like nigel planer who i think doesn't often get enough credit out of that core group no because, he doesn't you know, he really doesn't oh and he's brilliant and he's Oh, him in this episode, his character who's just is not, who's not he's having. He's so good because he's Ben. <laughs> so, um, Adrian Edmondson is Vim, whose real name is Alan, and the whole joke is that Den, who's a bit dense, and Neil the hippie is very much the same character. And I think Nigel Plain always plays the fall guy to Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mail, who was sharper. And they obviously went on and did Bottom together, those two. It was They were the double act. And so Nigel Planer was always like the third wheel and Peter Richardson as well, in a way. But he has the best jokes in, in Bad News, I think, Nigel Planer. And it's timing and just the, they keep like having to remind everyone that, that Alan, who's aging, <laughs> is now called Vim, <laughs> and he keeps referring to him as Alan, and he's like, they're trying to do this thing 
It's like a fly on the wall documentary where he goes and he knocks on the door and he's supposed to meet Den for the first time, Nigel Plamner, and, they, and they're supposed to look like it's it's sort of, you know, just happening. They've obviously rehearsed it and every time Den opens the door, he goes, hello, Alan. <laughs> he is so good going on about his fucking sausages in this cafe. <laughs> It, is, it won't end either. That poor woman. Two <laughs> quid for one bloody sausage. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's the sausages on. I asked for one sausage. <laughs> so, let me ask her if they, if they could cut the sausage in half. It says sausages up there. <laughs> oh, God. It's just... There's this great, I love the sequence when Jennifer Saunders as the rock journalist enters in and everybody's like speaking to the camera and they're like, you know, saying all these like very like, you know, ad friendly keywords about, oh, the future of rock and roll or something, you know, stuff like that. And they, they get to, they get to Nigel Planer and he's like, I, I can't read that card. What does that say? Like, he's just so confused. He does a similar thing in the return to bad news or more bad news when they're supposed to be filming this really sexist video where there's people on motorbikes and women in bondage and he's supposed to look at the camera and he can't do it. <laughs> it's just, like, really funny. He is the best thing. They're all really good. I love Rick oh, Mayne yes. in it. It's Colin. He's, like, this privileged sort of middle-class kid who lives at home. And he, like, gets in the van, like, bragging about these women in drugs. <laughs> And Nigel Payne is like, what will your mum say? <laughs> I bet your mum was really angry. But she wasn't there. Was, was she, Dan? Yeah, but I mean, when, when she gets back, she's going to be really no, angry. She won't be getting back. How come? Because she's dead. Hey? She's dead, Dan. That was my favorite, especially because he sounds he sounds so perfectly like like you know when kids are, you know you have that friend when you're like twelve that's done all of these things that are clearly not obtainable. They're like, oh yeah, my dad's an astronaut, and you know we got all this, and he's all yeah yeah I got really stoned and I drank a whole bottle of brandy and I was with a girl. <laughs> like you're gonna be I like kick the television set in. <laughs> Just like your mom's, he's, he's like, why? He's just They've like got Dawn French as a schoolgirl, which is oh, fucking Tracy. hilarious. Tracy. She's so cute. She's. I love it when they do a show and it's literally just like three people <laughs> and a dog, and there's Tracy just like, woo. So, it's like my dad. My dad going back to my dad. He's a musician. Actually played gigs like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I actually went to an open mic with him once and we drove all the way up to Worcester which is about 30 miles away because my dad doesn't drive and he needed someone to drive so drive him up to this open mic and the only people in the audience was the other musician oh, <laughs> oh god I've been to open mics lately <laughs> it's a great it's so great, though, I think, in that respect, because it really does show you, like, they're these young guys who kind of want to break out and, you know, make it in rock music. And you've got, apart from Colin, who's obviously privileged, and that's the only reason they've got him there, but you've got Spider, who's on the doll, and you've got, 
you know, they all live in council houses. You've got Vim Fuego <laughs> in his little kitchen <laughs> with his underpants sort of hung up. The neighbour coming down to tell him to turn his heavy metal off. And <laughs> it's just all really seedy and sad. And they go up to the Roxy as well to play this gig and they got that dodgy man, uh, dodgy uh, bar manager, Roxy manager, who's <laughs> trying to get off with Dawn French. He's a schoolgirl. It's oh. like when you think uh, how inappropriate that is. <laughs> it's just like... It's just, oh, oh I think it's, it's so, incredible. Oh, it's so good. And, you know, the thing is that... The, there are so many, much like Tap, there's so many great lines. And, like, my favorite was when Vim, as, as this, like, I could play Stairway to Heaven when I was 12. Jimmy Page didn't actually write it until he was 22. I think that says a lot. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it does kind of eerily foreshadow the decline of Western civilization too, though, which I watched again for this podcast and hadn't seen since it came out and um it's quite weird because when I first saw it and I didn't all the only parts of it I remembered was what's his name Chris Holmes in the swimming pool oh my god and yeah Ozzy Osbourne he's just fucked from, from brain damage <laughs> trying to cook breakfast although I I've heard you know a lot of that was put on for theatrical yeah, that was effect. staged um, yeah. So, but but when I first saw it at the time, I thought it was quite cool because it was quite new when it came out, and it was still at the sort of ass end of that big hair metal boom. And so, seeing it as a younger person during that time, I enjoyed it. But seeing it back now, all these years later, I found it quite depressing in parts because you've got all these young kids on it who are in bands in L.A. who think they're going to make it. And they're all broke as well. Like, none of them have got jobs or some of them have got shitty day jobs. And, you know, they all think that they're going to become the next big thing. And then you're like, they're like, this is so-and-so. And you're like, who the fuck is that? I don't remember them. <laughs> and so it's quite depressing to see. Like, they've got bigger stars on there, like Steven Tyler. Um, Lemmy. Lemmy's on there, the voice of reason. Um, and, you know, they've got the bigger bands, but they've got all these, like, little bands and little people on there. And it kind of, you know, Bad News was, what, four or five years before it in a parody, and yet this real documentary made by Penelope Spheris is part of three-part thing. Um, it's almost like Bad News in its own way which is, is, oh, is quite, you know, shows how switched on, I guess, the comic strip was for its time. Oh, masters. They were total masters. And, you know, the thing with Decline of Western Civ 2 that makes it, I think, in some ways even more depressing is when you look at Western Civ 1 and, you know, that was on the L.A. punk scene. And, you know, you see people, you see all these kids who, yeah, I mean, they're living, they're, they have shitty day jobs and are living in poverty, but they're all, everything they're doing is for, like, a message and a means, you know, like, they don't give a shit about fame. It's just, you know, they're just getting all of this aggression and these ideas out. And then you cut to Western Civ 2 and you have bands like Wet Cherry. <laughs> Wet Cherry. <laughs> What's that name? I'm just like, That's who like the fuck Wet Cherry? <laughs> 
Oh my god! And like Odin, I wanted to find out oh who that. Where are they now? That's what I wanted to do. It's like where are fucking Wet Cherry? I I didn't even remember them at the time. <laughs> but now, like the um, when Shout Factory did the uh, re-releases of the Decline of Western Civ trilogy, the commentary track on um on all films are so good and it's funny because there's the one on decline of western civ 2 it's penelope and uh one of the members of london oh uh, london the band that never he were. Was a... <laughs> they, they were someone else <laughs> or... i didn't remember i felt quite sorry for them uh, though i did too i did too yeah they were it's like oh the little band that should have could have but couldn't quite again it's almost like anvil like they didn't suck but they weren't really like that great either. Uh, better than Odin, though. My God, Odin! Odin. <laughs> Fucking Odin! <laughs> like what a stupid name as well. Oh, and I, I actually have a, an Odin story. Yes. I alluded to. Tell all. And, tell, um, tell all. <laughs> uh, I won't. I won't mention any names to protect the uh, the guilty. But um, a uh, a mutual friend of my husband and I's of Chuck's. Uh, told us uh, that uh, a friend who we're also friends with back in the 90s she was a stripper and one of the guys who had been in Odin came to the strip club and they went home later that night and they were you know making out and before things could get you know really down and dirty he actually said to her he's like make sure you don't give me any of your aids <gasps> and she's like and she actually said oh don't worry I won't and she kicked his ass out <laughs> yes <laughs> fucking Odin I can't believe the ego of being an Odin. That's sort of like saying, hey, I'm the guy that runs the Tilt-A-Whirl from 7 p.m. <laughs> to 10 p.m., motherfucker. So you bow down to me. You know, it's like, oh, you fuck, please. please there was you know, so was... much ego involved in that scene, though. I think that's what I respect oh. about Dave Mustaine from that documentary, in that he says, well, I don't want to create this kind of false image of fate. I mean, I know Dave uh, Dave Mustaine's done some fucking shitty egotistical things in his career. But as far as his musical integrity goes, Megadeth of, like, Slayer have mainly remained the same, whereas Metallica went off with orchestras and Marianne Faithful <laughs> and tried to, set, like, reject this metal label. And it's like you pointed it out, Vin Fuego in Bad News is like doing this thing where he's rejecting metal and going, well, do we want to label ourselves a heavy metal band? You know, it's kind of that thing. It's like those people who, who, who sort of like horror, but they have to like elevated horror and try and explain that it's not horror so they can kind of justify... Um, sort of being in it, whereas people like Dave Mustaine never really did that, never really reject. They kind of embraced the whole thing about it, whereas you know Metallica were kind of like went into that weird zone of like, yes, but we're not metal anymore. We're like you know bigger than metal. So bad news does that in the Vin Fuego character, which I think is brilliant. And then Den, the voice of reason, is like. <laughs> Saying he's going to get out the... <laughs> making him say, we are heavy metal, or he's not going to get back in the van. <laughs> All the more reason to love him. Like, he's... <laughs> so much art imitates life. I think we talked about this, didn't we? How heavy metal's always been ghettoized in that respect. And so to see um, something that kind of 
I guess, sympathetically presents the idea of rock stars trying to make it is a good thing because they could have gone the other way and made it ridiculous and then people would have just laughed at it. And again, with bad news, they don't do that because you care about the characters in a way and you care about their relationship and you kind of root for them. They become the underdogs. And I think, yeah, I think that's what's important about these. In uh, uh, You know, even when heavy metal was huge, it was still ridiculed from the mainstream community and always has been, you know, so... No, I mean, that's the thing, because I remember growing up and it was like anybody who was a metalhead or viewed as that were usually viewed as a bad seed, you know, like a criminal element. And I'm so grateful that I got to, I was raised by somebody because my mom has to this day, most diverse tastes in music ever. Because like I grew up listening to ACDC and early Van Halen, but I also grew up listening to Toto, which I forgive her for. I love my mother. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, like the Statler brothers. I mean, I I heard everything, but, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, and it's so weird to think that like somebody's taste in music that people would write you off, but that's a, a story as old as time. I mean, like people that were into punk, you know, we're often treated not, you know, not too kindly by the mainstream, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we live in an era now where people can have different kinds of, like, hair color, and it's normal you don't get, like, you know, possibly beaten up, you know, beat up on, which in the 70s and 80s was definitely a risk. I mean, people get vo- volatile if you look different. Um, so I'm glad that things are better. Um, I wish we could just have a middle, though. I kind of like the sexy evil of metal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But I don't like Tip Tipper Gore, any of those, you know, assholes. I don't want them contaminating. And, I think, but also, I pr- think some of those issues still exist because um, heavy metal is seen as something that's, you know, inherently misogynistic and sexist. And I think if you take some of the bands and some of the lyrics, yes, they are in their own way. But growing up during that period, and I like, well, I when I got into heavy metal, I was like, I just happened to go to a school where I was literally the only kid that was into heavy metal. And so I got picked on because of it. And I randomly met some girl on a bus one day who was wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt, started chatting to her. She said, come to this club. I was like 14. It was the first time I'd ever gone to a heavy metal club or drank or done anything like that and I walk into this club and there's all these freaks in there with big hair and spandex and I felt like I'd come home it was a community and it's always been a community and I think for outsiders they don't understand that Um, they see it as inherently sexist and misogynistic and these men are beating their chests and they're dragging women off by their hair. It wasn't like that. I think the one thing about it was that women were encouraged to be just as sexually um, free and and, and as as sexually aggressive as they wanted to be um, without judgment in that sphere. And if you weren't like that, it was also respected. It was all about being part of a community. I've experienced more sexism and misogyny outside of the alternative community. You know, of course you're going to get complete wankers turn up from time to time, but more or less, 
my experience of growing up within the heavy metal scene was mutual respect from guys if you were into the bands. And it was all about the bands and the music. Yeah, there was sex and drugs and whatnot. But mainly it was about the music. And if you knew your stuff and if you were genuinely into the bands, you were treated like an equal. It was only when I went to, quote-unquote, straight clubs where normal people went, where it was like a cattle market for people to get picked up for sex. That's where I experienced misogyny, not inside the metal community. And I think there's this big misnomer about what heavy metal actually represents. And so we had the typical thing back in the day. That's coming back, though. Heavy metal's recently been under attack a lot for what's seen as sexism or potential racism, people thinking the satanic thing is problematic. You know, in this age of Me Too and political correctness, it's heavy metal is becoming dra getting dragged into that just as much as horror film, I think. And so you are seeing these articles now, like the Steel Panther one, uh, that are kind of attacking heavy metal and like you know fucking politically correct metal i mean it, it'll be like christian metal all over again <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> remember <laughs> that little thing where christian metal was like a thing in the 90s oh i grew up in the bible belt i'm very familiar with <laughs> Christian battle, unfortunately. Um, no, and but I but see, I love it. That's why we have to do this. And I love the fact that you brought up the two comparisons because as somebody who also, you know, grew up not, you know, getting picked on, not connecting with, you know, the quote unquote the normal kids who loved metal, who loved punk, who loved horror movies, and constantly had to defend any and the above. As, especially as being a woman. I mean, I had a teacher in, in high school that actually was horrified to find out I was into horror movies. Cause she, and she, and she was my psychology teacher. <laughs> she just was like, <laughs> yeah, cause I was steady this... going on you, you know, that Heather. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, no doubt. But she, yeah, cause I was this honor roll kid, very good mannered, you know, very, never really got into a whole lot of trouble, but I mean, she, but I think that wigged her out even more, you know, cause it's like, you know, girls like me don't, well, girls like me definitely do actually. Yes. <laughs> give me this, give me the violence, give me the sex, give me the heavy metal. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing cause heavy metal, the purest essence of metal is what makes rock and roll in any sort of form of art that is outside the mainstream so vital because it's pure energy it's pure rebellion it's a it's against the status quo and stuff like that is always needed it's always beautiful and and you're right there's always i mean it makes me sad that in 2018 that nothing has changed in a lot of ways since the 80s but all the more reason to say no fuck you. You're not going to control what we listen to, what we love, what we watch. We're going to do what we want. We're going to love what we want. And, you know, and especially the gall of people telling you or me as women, oh, well, that you can't like that. That's sexist. Well, you're telling me what to do. Fuck you. Like I, you know, that well, what's there's, more that feminist... also, there's also that thing that is seen outside of, and you get this with heavy metal and horror outside of those two respective communities that they're seen as men's interests and if you're mm. a woman who's into heavy metal and horror you're somehow not feminine or not you know there's there's something to you that makes you more manly or something 
And my experience has always been, you know, of horror and heavy metal, that there are just as many women that are into metal and horror as there is men. It's it's quite strange, really, that it's seen, I guess, because it's seen as aggressive. Like, women can't like aggressive things. That's That's not very womanly, and so, therefore, you must be this, like, very sort of... I guess sort of masculine type woman which isn't the <laughs> case I mean there's so many different types of metal as well you can be anything you fucking want to be in the exactly. scene and that's what I've always loved about it you can you can be into anything dress the way you want to be the person you want to be without that judgment so absolutely well well no that's but see that's oh I this is just so like such a turned on conversation though because this thing women to me like some of the most inspiring women um are women that were you know that are in metal that are in punk that are in horror and genre films too because it's like as much as these areas get kind of you know pinpointedly oh they're sexist I'm like some of the strongest women I've ever seen I mean you know I was watched you know if people think metal sexist watch girl school Watch, uh, you know, Becky Bondage. I mean, Vice Squad was more of a punk band, but, I mean, Ligatage was definitely more, like, hard rock. You know, The Runaways, you know, fucking uh, Dora Pash. You know, I mean, there's so many great women in, in metal and in horror. Like, all the women I, I grew up that I loved in cult films and horror films, these were strong females that owned their sexuality, uh, defended themselves if they had to. I mean, to me, being a, being aggressive and and being uh, it's part of being a woman too. Like, what, I mean, we bleed every month. What's more metal than that? <laughs> <laughs> all, all the like, you know, <laughs> the men who were cheering along now are like, ah. Uh... <laughs> uh, whatever, honey. Guy, some guy recently. <laughs> kept mentioning everything I do is feminist everything I speak about is feminist so I did say I was just going to discuss tampons on any recording I did <laughs> got on there before me like even if I just make a statement like I love spinal tap it's apparently feminist because it comes out of a woman's mouth it's like whatever <laughs> it's that's we, the thing, though, and it's always these very conservative people that are like that, which you never found on the metal scene. You just could be accepted for who you were, woman or not, and and regarded as a peer to, to men in that way because you were respected because you knew your shit and you were just as much into the music. And I think what people don't, you know, outsiders don't kind of get about heavy metal is if you're into a heavy if you're in a heavy metal band, you know, you might be a flake, you might take drugs or fuck groupies or whatever to but to become a rock musician takes considerable skill and effort and passion. It's not something you can just fall into and I think, you know, it gets degraded in in that way. Which is why Spinal Tap works, because it is a parody, but it's like, um, I think again, no, it might have been, I think it was Michael McKean that said, if they couldn't play, it would never have worked. Spinal Tap would never work. It's the fact that they can play. When it comes to people like Steel Panther, they're fucking incredible. They started off as a Van Halen tribute band. They can play. Um, and so the jokes work. And so when you see articles devaluing that, I, it just makes me so cross. 
Oh, same here. Well, and you know, something, you know, while you were talking that, that hit me is um, one of my past day jobs is I, I once was like a music manager in a retail store. And I had two different instances where, like, there's one instance where a guy got sent to me because he was actually looking for Wasp. <laughs> and he went to my uh, my manager at the time, who was the dude with long hair. So the guy assumed, oh, you know, this guy will know about metal. And my manager at the time said, actually, I'm not into metal. That girl over there can help you, though. She knows her stuff. <laughs> I was wearing, like, a pink dress. Wa- I had glitter. expert. <laughs> yeah. And the guy's, and he was like her, and he's like, trust me. And the guy comes to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Blackie Lawless. I love it. And I just, we just start chatting about Wasp. And he was like, instantly, like, respect. And I had something similar up where these, like, teenage metalhead boys come in, and they, they try to get all snotty with me about Judas Priest. They're like, oh, you like Judas Priest? And I'm like, I love Judas Priest. I'm like, love bites. Cause I think they meant that I mentioned like breaking the law. And I'm like, no, love bites is one of my favorites. And, and then they were, and then afterwards, five minutes, I had them in the palm of my hands. They were like, you are our goddess. Like they were so, and it's like <laughs> they the were Oracle, so cute. Though. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Seriously. Yeah. The but metal, but, but, but metal guy, I've never had a metal guy mansplain to me. Like, no. every, almost every metal guy I've dealt with, they're, like, happy. They're, like, oh, cool, a chick who's into this. Like, they That's love it. That's what I mean. Had... You don't get yeah. that. In, you don't get that. You get it in horror, I think, by oh, certain you... factions of the horror community, mm-hmm. um, but which are, again, the more conservative, older, sort of middle-aged type territorial types but in metal mm. no i've never found that no i've never been mansplained about to about music about metal music you know it's more of a mutual appreciation because metal heads just want to talk about music and if you can talk to them then they're all up for that you know it doesn't become some weird competition or at least I've never experienced that. Talking of major metal heads, before we round up, can we shout out Mike McPadden? Because we're talking um, about heavy metal movies. Absolutely, yeah. Now, for um, any anybody listening, if you don't have this book already, Mike McFadden wrote the definitive tome on heavy metal movies called heavy metal movies how perfect is that so mike's and great he's a great writer it's absolutely brilliant um and yes definitely check it out because i we didn't really get a chance but we'll be here for another two hours if we open up this pandora's box <laughs> <laughs> this but is so when oh. spinal tap and that were coming out um, and you also had in like horror things like trick-or-tree and a lot of heavy metal kind of bleeding into horror film and stuff as well and becoming part of cinema you had that whole kind of heavy metal horror genre kick off around that point. So for if you were a metal head, you were really spoiled for metal in everything, in, in cinema, you know, not just the music that was coming out, but films and television and media as well. Oh, yeah, my God, that book is legion. It's so good. It's so big and... as well. You wouldn't have imagined it's the size so of heavy the Bible. <laughs> it's like, I thought I knew my stuff, and then I got that book, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, how many heavy metal ho- films are there? There's fucking loads of them. It is massive. Uh, 
yeah professor mike schooling us all like it's <laughs> it's so good and actually while we're doing shout outs i do also want to shout out to a man named ralph fiera who does the um well he does a lot of things he does a podcast called the Vieira vault and rock and metal combat podcast with a guy named ian wadley and he has a youtube channel where he does videos on black sabbath and kiss and he started a new one on cheap trick and yeah, if anybody you guys looking for podcasts other than ours, because ours should be the first one. Yes, always. You listen to. <laughs> uh, Ralph is he knows this he knows this shit. He's fun. He's down to earth, and just that's what it's about. Like all of us, you know, metal fans, film fans, we all do what we love from a place of passion and bucking the system. And um, and Mike does that too. So it's just it's great to spread this love. And um, and spreading. Speaking of spreading love, before we wrap it up, I was going to so, start laughing then when you said speaking of spreading. Speaking of spreading, <laughs> community property. <laughs> like, actually, I do want to I touch upon what you that. What were going to say then? <laughs> I don't know now, but community property. Okay, quick aside. I most the ballad trend in. Oh, an 80s metal was rough. That was a rough, <laughs> awful trend. But I think Steel Panther, like Alchemist, they took they took a convention that is kind of shitty and they made it real. They made it awesome because it's all basically about a guy's weenie. Like it's about his wang. <laughs> it's great. And about it? getting trim. And it's beautiful. I love Steel Panther. <laughs> Bless them. <laughs> But also what I was going to say is, so, so Kat, what was your gateway band as My a young metal band. hand? Oh, yeah. What was the, what was your gateway to metal? I don't, do you know, I think it was probably Iron Maiden. Like I said earlier, I got into the Clash, I actually got into punk first briefly. And then I've, I've always liked the two kind of parallel. My dad was quite disturbed that I was listening to so much pop music and he gave me the Clash. The Clash and was like, please listen to this. And <laughs> all of a sudden, all my Wham posters were torn down and, you know, the weird years began, which which still continued. But I think if it was one band, it would have to be Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden's Iron Maiden their first album I think it mm. was that but there, I did go through this really strange time um, in the early 80s when I would have been about 11 or 12 where I was just kind of blind buying everything and I was buying like Gillen albums and fucking UFO and I was built by yes. buying everything that if I just like the, the cover of it and some of it was fucking awful. And then somebody came <laughs> to me and gave me Slayers. Um, a Slayer, it was a cassette. It had Slayer on one side and Metallica's Ride the Lightning on the other. And, and that kind of put me on the right path because I was kind of flailing in the dark. And, and I probably had albums by some of those fucking people on uh, Decline of Western. Like, that's some really dodgy shit. But I guess... You know, back then we didn't have MTV here in the UK and we didn't have the internet. And there were metal mags like Kerrang, but Gemini didn't buy those then. That was I came later on. So I would just generally just buy things because I like like the cover. <laughs> that was, that was it. And sometimes it but because you'd bought it as well, you were determined to like it. But then years later you just think, what the fuck was that about? That was that was terrible. 
So it was probably Iron Maiden and I fucking loved Def Leppard <laughs> during those early stages and I still love them now. My friend oh, Hayley God. and I had, had big arguments over Def Leppard. She said to me once they were the world's most overrated pub band, which which heavily upset me. But, um, but yeah, it was that, I guess. That kind of tail end of the new wave of British heavy metal was like my, my gateway. What about you? Oh goodness! Well, you mentioned some sweet spots right there, because God, the the those the first two Iron Maiden albums. I mean, I love the Dickinson era, but Paul the Paul Diano era. Oh, just I oh, love it, love it so much. But my gateways uh, when I was little was yeah, I mentioned ACDC earlier, um, and in fact, I remember doing I made up a dance routine when I was little to Big Balls, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, that's which shows that shows to everybody that um, things like shame apparently was not a born trait for me. <laughs> just always You're gravitated. Course, have they? I, I, I guess so. But uh, but also my my I'm mother sorry. had. She, I'm serious. I still love that song. I've just too. got some mental image now. A, a little little Heather doing little like doing this little dance to big balls. I was yeah, my balls are always bouncing to the left and to the right. <laughs> oh my god! But but also my mother on forty five had Panama by Van Halen, and the moment I heard that song, I was obsessed to the point where that her forty five. That's what taught me how to work a turntable like when I was a little kid I didn't know how to work one until that one because then I had reason because she got tired after a while being I'd be like mama play this <laughs> she's like Christ kid we've been playing this 10 times in a row I'm sure it's what she was thinking but um oh my god I would just like I remember just like I'd run in circles to that song like I didn't even know I just would I would just get so excited and full of energy I love um, that song though that reminds me about of that club I was talking about that was a big one that they played all the time in their Panama oh it's so oh it's, I still love it too it's just oh it's so great and um also I think Bang Your Head by A Quiet Riot I remember she had that on 45 and that one, I always feel bad that most people think of Quiet Riot for like the Slade covers, which aren't really that great. <laughs> don't, oh I mean, God, don't. I know they're not great, but Quiet Riot's like original stuff is really good. And I encourage um, people to check that stuff out. If you want Slade, just listen to Slade. Like the original Slade are great. Like I love Slade. Just stick with Slade. <laughs> not the Slade was- Christmas song, though. Oh, no, no Slade Christmas. Well, it's either that or simply have Oh, God, no, don't. don't. <laughs> I, got, I know, isn't it the worst? It's like, oh, my God. It's either that or coming up. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. But um, Well, hopefully sorry, we'll Linda. get this episode published before Christmas because if we continue on our current schedule, <laughs> that's when it will be coming out. We will. Oh. No, this is, this is our renewal. This, this is, is our renewal our ritual. Renewal. <laughs> <laughs> no but are there how I do we want to ha- no i just think they just just sort of sign off now then and just say yeah 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 how do we want to wrap this up okay so on that note um hopefully this will be published in the next couple of weeks and then everyone will get the kenneth anger episode and we get our groove on with that and then we have some really special stuff planned. Um, I don't want to say what it is yet, but it's very us. 
where we get to talk about art and censorship and one of the most um, bar-raising artists of this generation. Mm, absolutely. It's going to be it's going to be a great one, kids. You're going to love it. We're going to love it. It's going to be just a festival of great art. We're going to turn it up to 11. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Oh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> also, don't touch it. Don't even look at it. it <laughs> But do listen. We do encourage you to listen, though. So, and if you've um, liked this episode, please give us a like or a share, or you know, tell us what you think. Absolutely. Oh, we want everybody to have a great night, a great morning, and until next time. Stop wasting my time. You know what I want. You know what I need. Oh, maybe you. Oh. Come right flat out and tell you everything. Give me some money. Give me some money. I'm nobody's fool. I'm nobody's clown. I'm treating you cool. I'm putting you down. Baby.